Well, it's uh, good to be with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> as I get older <clears throat> and as I uh, travel on vacation to see family and friends or um, I'm out and about and attend different worship services, it, I think it becomes more and more enjoyable to attend services, not at my home church, which of course is my home church, but to gather together once in a while with other believers and to uh, sing songs of praise and pray together. Um, I was just reflecting just a moment ago about how we all sit together in a sanctuary and we all face forward and, and, and we face the cross. Where else, where else do you do anything like what we're, we're doing right now? Um, the prayer time that we had together. Uh, sacred and, and special and, and wonderful. The Holy Spirit has to be at work uh, to call us together and um, uh, to form us in, in such ways as he does. So it's a blessing to be here with uh, you this morning and uh, looking forward to um, talking a little bit about a few passages from Scripture. Uh, my Just for a little background on myself, my uh, wife and I, we came here from Massachusetts. We went to school there. We, we met there and have been up here for two and a half years and uh, I've been at Lemoyne Baptist Church doing ministry there. Uh, Pastor Brown has started a um, a uh, a pastor's group that meets up. We meet once a month at at the church there, and um, so I've had uh, the benefit of his wisdom and 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 many other pastors in the area uh, that time together. So that's uh, how how um, we've been connected. We've also done a, a few uh, trips to the Emmaus shelter with you guys. You guys have up as part of your missions group goes to the Emmaus shelter and. We've, uh, you've kindly let us come along and start to participate in that as well. Well, I do want to look at a few passages from Scripture today. We do have the, uh, the passage from the Gospel of Mark there. But before we look at that, I'd like to uh, begin by reading from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 6. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 6. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And then to our uh, then to our passage in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter twelve, and we'll be reading verses eighteen to twenty-seven. Mark twelve verses eighteen to twenty-seven. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? 
Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. The word of the Lord. Um, This past uh, October of last year, my wife and I and our two little girls went on vacation. We went down to Florida to visit my family there, and we we went out to California to visit her family. Uh, When we were in Florida, we went to the beach and uh, we were walking out, and, and as we were walking out to the beach, Florida kind of has these long beaches, and uh, there was a lady setting up tiki torches on the beach. Uh, they're about four or five feet apart. A tiki torch is something that stands, most of you might know what that is, it stands about four or five feet off the ground. It's got uh, a flame at the top. You see them in uh, Hawaiian scenes oftentimes. And um, she had a camera strapped around her neck as well. I knew what was happening. I'd, I'd seen this happen before. A wedding was about to take place on the beach. The tiki torches were right up where the bride and groom would be. Uh, she was obviously the photographer. So we went down about another 50 yards, and I kind of I'd turn around from time to time and look back to see uh, if she's setting out chairs, if the guests are coming. But no guests ever did come. No chairs were ever set out. Eventually, uh, the bride came in a very beautiful dress with the, with the groom. Uh, a man came with a, with a book. I'm guessing he was a pastor with the Bible. And he stood there between the two tiki torches with the bride and the groom. And the camera lady circled them. And they had about a 10-minute wedding ceremony. Um, and then they went down to the beachside, uh, kind of near where we were. And the pastor uh, left. And for the next hour or two, they took pictures at the beachside as the sun was setting. We flew to California about a a few days later. uh, And one of the reasons we were going to California is because my my wife's cousin was getting married. Uh, This wedding uh, that we witnessed in California was a very different kind of wedding. My wife is uh, ethnically Chinese, and it was more of a traditional Chinese wedding. Uh, what took place uh, was um, the groom and the groomsmen came to the uh, family of uh, the, the bride's house. And uh, the groom and the groomsmen stood outside the house right at the end of the driveway. And the uh, bridesmaids were lining the front of the house. Uh, the message was, you're not getting into this house where the bride is until you pass by the bridesmaids. And so the bridesmaids made the uh, groom and the groomsmen do a bunch of things, answer a bunch of questions, uh, do some comical routines in order to prove their love for uh, the bride. The groom had to prove his love. Um, one of the one of the, I won't I won't list all the things they made him do. One of the one of the comical things they made uh, the groom and the groomsmen do was put an orange in their neck, and they put an orange and they had, they had to keep their hands behind. And then they had, to, they had to pass the orange from one groomsman to the next. And they couldn't drop the orange. And once it got to the end of the line, um, then they passed the test. 
Well, eventually, uh, to the satisfaction of the bridesmaids, they pass the test. They go inside to the family house. They go to the door of the bride, her bedroom. They have to pass a few more tests. They pass those tests. The groom is able to go in, grab the bride, bring her out, and then they sit around the table and they have a family meal together. A blessing is given. There's formal introductions. This is the, this is the wedding taking place in a very communal way. Um, then after that, the bride and the groom, uh, there's a tea-pouring ceremony. And the, and the heads of the family, the elders, those most respected, get up and sit in a chair, and they're formally served tea now by the husband and wife. And the elders then give gifts to the husband and wife, the newly uh, um, uh, blessed husband and wife. And those gifts now are to send them on their way that they might uh, have something as they start out life together. And then they all pile in and they go over to the groom's house and they do very much the same rituals at the groom's house. A very, in many ways, a very wonderful and beautiful communal engagement. Very different from the wedding that took place on the beach just a week earlier that I had witnessed. Um, what, I wanna, what I'm trying to point out in, in these two stories is though we come from many different cultures and have very, many different customs and many different ways we go about weddings, they're always important to us, aren't they? Uh, any culture, any society holds weddings as, as wonderful, important, a centerpiece of, of our life together. We do that in our day. We do that in our own ways. Um, and, and it wasn't different in, in, in other times and other places. In the Old Testament, in the days of Jesus, weddings are very important. And we see here the, a Jewish group called the Sadducees. This Jewish group comes to Jesus and they've got a question about marriage. They've got a question about weddings. And they think, and here's the key thing to get as we read this passage, they think Jesus is a false teacher. They think he really doesn't understand the Old Testament well at all. They think he's teaching the wrong things. And so they think they've got a passage from the Old Testament that is going to show Jesus is false. Jesus' belief in the resurrection and eternal life is just kind of a myth. They think they have an Old Testament passage that's going to prove that. It's a passage about weddings and marriage. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, that's a really important clue that we get right there at the beginning. The Sadducees, this Jewish group, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Now, if the Sadducees don't believe there's a resurrection, why do they believe the Bible at all? Why, why follow the Bible? Why take it seriously? Um, they take it seriously for, many, for, for, for uh, the same reason as many people take the Bible very seriously today. It's a wonderful, important rule book. It great, gives great principles for life. It's, it's part of a tradition um, that, that informs our life. The Bible is a big rule book that helps us, that guides us as a society. That's the Sadducees' belief. It's a popular belief today. The Sadducees want to show Jesus, want to prove that this, this Bible, um, which they follow as Jewish people and which Jesus follows in his own way, uh, is nothing really, if we, if we look at it closely, it's nothing more than just a book that gives us good principles for life today. Here's what they say then. Teacher, they say, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children 
for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. Here's their here's their story or their hypothetical situation. A man, uh, um, a man marries a a woman. He has many brothers, but this man dies. Uh, This is referring to that passage we read earlier from Deuteronomy 25, the law of marriage, that uh, if an unmarried brother is still living with his brother and that brother gets married and he dies, the younger unmarried brother now has the obligation of marrying his brother's widow. So they're playing off of that Old Testament passage. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since she's married seven men? You can kind of see what they're saying here. They're saying, obviously, obviously this this law that Moses gave us um, contradicts the idea that there's a resurrection. If there really is a resurrection, this would just be very goofy. This lady would be raised from the dead. Her seven husbands would be raised from the dead. And now whose whose wife is she going to be? This is a ridiculous situation. What the, what, the, what the Sadducees are trying to do here is show, look, obviously Moses was just giving us advice for how to live in difficult circumstances. How does a society get along when one member dies and there's a widow and the widow now, where does she go? Moses is giving practical advice. Well, the brother is supposed to marry and that'll make things better. That's a good policy to have. That's the, that's the point that the Sadducees are trying to get across, right? There is no resurrection Moses was just a good moral, practical teacher on how to live together. But of course, they're not reading Deuteronomy 25 very closely because Deuteronomy 25 is about much more than practical advice. Uh, At the heart of it, and at the heart of all Bible passages, is love. The Bible is about love, and Deuteronomy 25 is no exception. This is how to love God's people. This is how to be a person of love in this world. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. What this passage is about in the Old Testament is a picture of love, of how to love people, how to love your brother when he dies, how to love his widow when now she's She's left alone and is probably going to be uprooted from the family she's been a part of and now be transferred maybe to some other family and have to adapt there. Uh, the loving thing to do is the younger brother who's not married marries the widow who has no children and has a brother, has a son on his brother's behalf. Um, the story is a story about love, about the younger brother, the unmarried brother, giving his life now giving his life for the sake of the well-being of the widow, giving his life for the sake of the well-being of his brother so that his brother's name does not die out from Israel. It's a giving up, a giving up of, of self, a giving up of life, a constant theme in the gospel. It's about love. We might read a passage like Deuteronomy 25 and feel bad for this younger brother. This is so strange that he'd have to marry 
someone maybe he didn't choose to marry, somebody uh, maybe in many ways he didn't want to marry. We might feel sad for him, but I don't think we should feel sad. We should feel inspired uh, by what he does. Uh, feel inspired by this call to give of oneself in such a loving and giving way. To not let the widow be left destitute, but to keep her in the family. Right? To care for the brothers so much that you raise up a son with the, with the, brothers, the deceased brother's name. Right? This is the kind of love that Jesus constantly commends, a self-giving love. We find it right here in Deuteronomy. The Sadducees, on the other hand, think, think to go back to uh, what we were talking about a little earlier, they think this is nothing but practical advice. It's not so much about love. It's not so much about, um, it's not so much about, it's not so much an act of love and hope that the brother does. It's more just an act for how you get along and, in difficult circumstances, how you make it through the day when tragedy happens. Um, Jesus is going to co- correct that. Moses is talking about something much deeper um, than rules for how to live in the here and now. Verse 24 and 25, Jesus replies to them after they, after they give this example. Jesus says, Are you not an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. At the resurrection, when God's people are raised and and brought into eternal life, Jesus gives us the teaching um, that there is no marriage uh, in heaven. Marriage in this life is wonderful and a, a wonderful blessing, but it is something temporary. Uh, it is not something which lasts into the age to come. I was, th- I was thinking about this, and I, well, you know, what came, one of the things that came to my mind was the movie Snow White. Uh, most of us have probably seen the movie Snow White, the Disney, the Disney picture. Right? What, as I thought about that, it really, it, it kind of, for whatever reason, it struck a chord with me. And as I thought about it, I was very impressed by that movie. Because you remember what happens. How does Snow White die? She, uh, she eats the apple, right? That's kind of a, a biblical image. Snow White eats the apple. Uh, she, she dies. Uh, and that, but then she's raised to life. Again, another, another very Christian image. She's raised, she's resurrected back to life. Uh, but what is it that raises Snow White to life? Uh, it's, it's true love and it's a kiss, right? It's a kiss from her true love, the prince. What has resurrecting power uh, according to that movie, uh, marital love, right? Marital love. If, if, there's a, if there's a reason to be raised, and wh- where does Snow White go? You remember, she doesn't just go to some nice little cottage. She goes to a castle in the sky, right? What's the message? Uh, they've got the biblical e- themes there, the death by eating the apple, the uh, resurrected to life, but there's a huge twist in that movie, right? It's true love. It's marital love that is worth being raised uh, from the dead unto. And what is, what is blessed life? Blessed life is going off with Prince Charming um, to a castle in the sky. I think, I think the writers of Snow White had, had Jesus in mind uh, when they wrote that story, and I'm not sure they agreed with the last part of Jesus' uh, opinions on resurrection. It's not marital love, Jesus is saying, that's going to last. Marital love is wonderful, but in the age to come, uh, it's the blood of Jesus that raises us from the dead. 
and it's faith, hope, and love which last forever. Those things continue for all time. But it's not the marital love uh, that stays there because there's something even deeper, more wonderful, uh, and more beautiful than uh, marital love itself. The kind of love that is going to fill heaven is not the snow-white kind of love. The kind of love that is going to fill heaven is the kind of love that the brother shows to the deceased brother. The kind of love that the brother shows to the widow. The kind of love is the self-giving love that Jesus shows when he gives his life for us on the cross. This is the love that fills heaven. Verse 26 and 27. Now about the dead raising, Jesus says. Remember, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. He says to them, about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses on the account, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The Sadducees had come to Jesus and they'd asked him a question. And really what their question was saying, if you read between the lines, their question was, Jesus, if you had really read Moses well, if you had really read the Old Testament well, you would have read Deuteronomy 25. And you would have known that Moses doesn't believe in resurrection. Uh, Think of this story of a woman being raised with seven husbands. That's just silly. If you hadn't read If you had read Moses in the Old Testament well, Jesus, you would know there's no resurrection to eternal life. Jesus, in his um, amazing brilliance, uses their own logic against them. He says, no, no, you are the ones who did not read Moses very well. Remember that part in the Old Testament that Moses wrote about the burning bush? Um, What did God say there? God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a long time now after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had died. But God doesn't say, I was their God. He says, I am their God. I am their God now, present tense. Um, God is not the God of the dead. He's, He's the God of the living. Though they died, they are still alive. I'm not the one who has read Moses poorly. You're the one who's read Moses poorly. Uh, beautiful and brilliant as Jesus always does, turns, turns their own way of arguing against them to show that they are gravely mistaken. God is the God of the resurrection, resurrection to life. This life is not about finding the right rules. It's not about finding the right principles. That's the Sadducees' mistake. This life is not about finding ultimate fulfillment in things that are passing away. This life is about putting our hope, daily putting our hope in the God of the resurrection, in the God whose power to to bring us to life, that very power is at work already within the hearts of his people. So we ask ourselves the the question, uh, how do we live? Because it's very easy to it's very easy to think, um, well, God is going to raise me someday from the dead. Uh, that's the ultimate climactic point of of life and living. And so, more or less, life is kind of waiting for that day, uh, kind of maybe doing what I want, 
uh, or doing what I think best or what I enjoy most and just waiting upon the day of resurrection. Um, But I think we kind of miss, if we think such things, we miss the power of God's resurrection because it's something that which has really already begun um, in the life of God's people. Uh, it's a, it, in the present, there is kind of a, a, a taste, a glimmering in the present uh, of God's resurrecting power. And it's our, it's our calling in life to display that uh, to the world, to display God's, God's power, to bring life where there is death. We want to know the calling of all, our lives. That's, that's the calling of all our lives, to show the world that God is the God who brings life where death only seems to reign. So we do not sit around waiting for the resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is one for us through Christ. We start to live even the resurrected life before we have been given it. And this is what, this is what the, the passage in Deuteronomy 25 is all about. When the, when the deceased brother dies and he leaves no children and his, his line is going to be gone forever and his widow is now destitute and she might, be, she might be ripped up from the family and distributed to another family and have to start all over again. And the, 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 the situation is just as tragic as it gets. Right? It's as tragi- tragic as it gets. What does the brother do? The unmarried younger brother marries the widow has a child in behalf of his brother, raises that child up for, his, for the sake of his brother, marries the widow, keeps the widow in the family, united to where she belongs. You know what all that is? All of that is a beautiful sign and a beautiful glimmer that by the power of God's love, life springs out of death. The younger brother cannot bring the kind of life that God can bring. He can do that. He can give this wonderful picture He can give of himself in such a way that life in some beautiful fashion comes out where death and tragedy have hit. If you know the story of Ruth, the story of Ruth is very much the same story. Ruth could have uh, could have left and gone her own way. She could have left Naomi behind. Naomi Naomi thinks her life is over, right? My life is over. Uh, But how does how does the book end? The book ends with. Naomi holding a child in her hand, a grandson, um, and she's happy. And the, and the women of the town say to her, you are more blessed by Ruth than a, than a woman who had seven sons. Right? Ruth does not chase the, the men that are her age. She, she marries the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, and have a, has a son for the sake of her grandmother and for the sake of her husband who is lost. It's a beautiful, wonderful glimmer. The glimmer of, of, of God working through the love of, of us to show that life does conquer death. It's not the kind of life that God will one day bring and welcome us into, but it, it's what we can do. It's the power of love. And if you remember, the best part of the story of Ruth is what, who, who, comes, uh, who comes from the line of Ruth and Boaz? Uh, King David does, right? That's the closing part of the story. What does God do with Ruth's love for Naomi? King David comes forward. Um, The line of King David begins with Ruth and Boaz. And who comes from King David? Jesus comes from King David. What can God do with our love? Right. God brings life from our love 
The story of the brother uh, who is to marry is a testimony to that. The story of Ruth is a testimony to the power of God through the love which we give. A glimmer of the resurrection is given by the way we love and treat each other. Christians do not wait on the resurrection. We live in such a way uh, that people get a foretaste. They get a foretaste of what God's love, of, God, of what God's power is all about. We get the strength and we get the wisdom to live by such love by the Holy Spirit. It's God who gives us his Holy Spirit. Jesus has died and been raised from the dead. He goes to heaven and he sends the Spirit to be at work in our hearts, to be at work as we gather together. It is by the Spirit that we have the power, the wisdom, the strength to live out this love because how hard is it to live such a way? How hard is it for the younger brother to give up his life? How mature you have to be to be a Ruth who gives of herself in such a way. Jesus has cleansed us from our sins and he has been raised from the dead. He watches over us. He gives us the strength by his spirit. He gives us the guidance. It is by his death and resurrection that we are being restored. We have been restored and we are being restored. We are growing in love and sanctification and holiness. And because we have been restored, because we are being restored, we can love as God calls us to love. The self-giving love that Jesus shows is our example. The self-giving love which Ruth displays is our example. The love of the brother for his deceased brother, for his deceased brother and the widow, This is the kind of love that we are called to live out. Jesus says to the Sadducees, you are badly mistaken. God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. Amen.